0: This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Knight's Landing and Pascal GPU face off at ISC.
1: And Fujitsu surprises with ARM.
0: It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into to another ISC edition episode of... This Week in HPC, I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. This Week in HPC is distributed in partnership with our friends at top500.org. Michael, we've been trying to digest all of the news from ISC. We had one that we recorded during the show. We're coming back with another special episode. We've got to catch up with all the chip news, starting with Intel's launch of the much-anticipated much launch of Knight's Landing.
1: Right. That has been going on for a while. I mean, they They have actually officially launched it now at the show, but, I mean, they've been shipping some of these uh, chips for a while, but with the official launch, they actually revealed some more of the details and especially the the actual specs of the chips they've been shipping, so the core counts and the, the power draw and the gigahertz and that sort of thing. So now we've got basically three of the... Three of the versions are actually generally, uh, are in general availability now. There's more in the pipeline. So it was a, uh, the official launch and it was announced and it was all over the show and a lot of the OEMs and system providers in tandem announced support for those, uh, those chips.
0: Right. Now you're talking about there's really four different versions. They're all numbered with a 72. They go right. 72.10, 30, 50, 90. Three of those, as you said, are generally available now, although general availability, it's not like they've been shipping Widely, there were TAC and a few other people who managed to get some benchmarks up prior to the show. They, they had a couple of them uh, uh, ready for the top 500 list, I think. But uh, they are generally available in that you can order them now and, and get in the shipping queue. They're now
1: shipping. Right, and what you were talking about, those were there were some shipping actually over the last six months to selected partners, and you know, especially some of the people we always talk about in the in the supercomputing sites that that were on tap for these things, so things like the uh, the Cori computer at NERSC. Uh, I think those are being installed as we speak, and those were already in the pipeline before they were generally available. But now they're going to be available to all these OEMs and, and others, so you'll be able to order them and get them in in some reasonable, reasonable amount of time. They basically got a little bit ahead of the uh, the NVIDIA GPU launch that we'll talk about in a moment because those aren't going to be available till later. So now that these are... Coming online, I think we'll start to see some of these systems in small and uh, and large systems in fairly uh, short amount of time right
0: now we mentioned there's four versions they really come in essentially a, uh, a high medium and low Bin part, yep. if you will. The the two of them at the bottom are quite similar. They're 64 cores and 1.3 gigahertz. Um, so they're same number of core counts, same number of gigahertz. Then there's one in the middle that's 68 cores and 1.4 gigahertz, and one at the high end, 72 cores and 1.5. That one is the only one that's uh, outside the same power envelope. The the three bottom ones are all 215 watt chips. The top one's at
1: 245. Right, that top bin part is for uh, obviously maximum power and throughput and flops. That one gets close to three and a half teraflops of peak double precision performance. Um, that one actually that won't, won't isn't generally available right now. That won't be available for a couple of months uh, until September. That's the farthest one out. Right? right, the others are. So you have that that part that high bin part with, that, that's clocked higher that that runs a little bit hotter, and that's probably going to be the premier one, uh, for a lot of the supercomputing installations if they're wanting maximum power, because it's, uh, it's, it's about a half teraflop more above the, uh, the lower clocked versions, but you basically can pick and choose according to maximum power, performance per watt, uh, some of the other parts were somewhat different memory support configurations as far as memory speeds, but, uh, it, they're sort of optimized for different application profiles, but I think that top end part Three and a half teraflop one will will be the one people will go to when they when they 're going for just for performance
0: and the other thing we 're going to have to wait for a, a couple of months is the integration
1: with omnipath right right the the integrated on chip uh, or on package omnipath I think that 's going to come out in October, so we don't have to wait too long for that, but then you 'll get that that integrated uh, fabric uh, associated with the socket, which w- presumably will We'll optimize uh, the throughput on the network side as well. So everything's coming in pretty short order now, and uh, they will they'll start shipping all of these before the end of the year. For, they'll at least they'll be generally available before the end of the year, and if you're ordering them, uh, you'll be able to get a system by then.
0: Now, the interesting thing here with regards to this product launch is that uh, in as much as we were at ISC, they followed the theme of talking a lot about machine learning and artificial intelligence. You attended Raj Hazra's presentation where he uh, gave an overview of these chips and talked about their focus there.
1: Right in that particular uh, talk, I mean he he did introduce the uh, he did launch the chip at this, but he spent a good deal of that uh, session just talking about the influence of artificial intelligence and machine learning on the HPC space and how Intel was now uh, now devoted to it 100% and even brought up some benchmarks with with my planning towards the end of that on how well it does on on some of these uh uh deep learning types of applications so uh there was a lot of emphasis there by Intel i think they see this market as as one of the higher volume markets uh in within HPC the, the training side of deep learning that uh, of course Nvidia and their their GPU line has done so well with there they want to go head to head with Nvidia here and they think they've got this chip that can do it they, they did bring out a, a few benchmarks that were fairly impressive
0: yeah you know it's it's funny because these chip providers are definitely trying to position ahead of each other for this training side of deep learning and i agree that it's an impressive looking application the volume on that right now is not too high it's it seems like this is a matter of trying to get ahead of the race on what's going to be a large market in the future
1: yeah i I think you're exactly right i mean i think the market is actually uh it's actually reasonably good now even even compared to um you know what we're used to in the hpc space it's not that big obviously but it's growing much faster because this is the beginning and I, I think they see a, lo- a lot of their volume actually coming in. But you're right; it's, it's a future, it's a future market in that sense, and that the the largest volumes are going to be in the coming years. But uh, it's getting a lot of attention, and even even now in 2016, a lot of GPUs and Intel thinks a lot of these uh, Xeon 5s are going to be shipped into that uh, that space.
0: Now, we've been comparing a lot, or Intel was comparing a lot, directly against the the NVIDIA chips. Now, of course, Intel didn't have access to the newest uh, Pascal GPU, so they did some benchmarks against the other ones. But let's transition to that new Pascal GPU. NVIDIA is not just going to let Intel uh, have the limelight here. They're going to do a launch of their own.
1: Right. In fact, they, they announced a new version of the chip they announced back at uh, the GPU Technology Conference in April. Remember, they announced the, uh, basically the deep learning version with the Pascal GPU launch. Uh, but that one was targeted mainly to the deep learning space. The one they announced at ISC is actually targeted to the HPC space as far as mixed workloads. Not, not that deep learning is not an HPC application, but this one is for the, the typical or traditional mixed workloads you'd find in a, in an HPC supercomputer. So it would be, you know, physics type simulations, that sort of thing. It's, it's the same chip though. In fact, it's the same name. There's, it's still the P100. They just tweaked it a little bit to, to target it to this market. And the main thing they did actually was to actually to turn the clock down a little bit and make it less performant, ironically. So to get it into a 250 watt power envelope, that is a little more comfortable for thermal uh designs of of most uh most OEM's uh, servers uh they they felt like they had to get it below the 300 watt threshold that they had the original chip in um, which were oriented like i said for deep learning and more custom designs here they they actually clocked it down and they sacrificed about 11% in performance so it's like uh came out at like 4.7 uh, teraflops per GPU, which is very good. It's just a, a tad slower than the, uh, than the original version. But, uh, still a very performant chip. And in peak performance, uh, we just mentioned it's going to beat the, uh, the Xeon 5 that just came out, even the top bin part.
0: You make a good point, though, that this was a a tweak of the P100 release that was designed to be a little more general purpose. Back at the GPU Technology Conference, when they were talking more about machine learning, they made a very big deal out of the half-precision or 16-bit aspect of that. That was something that was... Not copied in this release by Intel of night 's landing, although they do offer the single precision, not the half precision
1: right, but the the rumor is that half precision is is going to come rather quickly to the xeon five product line, so I think we can look forward to seeing that especially as intel is is targeting this space. It would be a, a no brainer to add that sort of feature where you can optimize some of these deep learning workloads by by adding that sixteen bit uh, precision in in the the vector processor.
0: This is something, obviously, that has to play out in the market. The advantage for Intel is that they're going to be espousing x86 compatibility and programming everything within, uh, you know, a standard Intel programming environment. And that's, you know, that's considerable. The advantage for NVIDIA is that they had a a head start with CUDA. You know, they've got people who have out there who have already started working on GPU code optimization uh, under CUDA and also an advantage they maintain over Intel is that a lot of people when they started out with CUDA they would do it just by downloading CUDA drivers to any laptop or or desktop system that had an NVIDIA GPU in it. Uh, With Intel, even though you're operating within a standard Intel programming environment, you still have to order a specific machine that's going to have a night's landing processor in it I don't just have one lying around
1: yeah I mean that that's a great point it's I mean I think Intel would say well basically if you're if you're targeting an x86 it's the same it's the same general programming model but that's that's not quite true I mean to, to access the vector processing power of, uh, of a xeon 5 that's not going to be available on a, on a vanilla chip that you're going to get in the in a PC nor will you get the many core Type of uh, of architecture in a in a in a PC chip the the best you're gonna get is a multi-core chip you can do some things but it's not like you said it's not like having a a CUDA capable GPU in your laptop and being able to do some version of that to develop your application so that is an advantage so uh, there's and and you brought up the different advantages Intel has I think this is gonna Play out. People are going to sort of pick their their religion here, and if they're if they're X86 uh, adherents, uh, I think they'll know which way to go. And if they've become comfortable in the in the CUDA software environment, they've they've got a path forward. So it, it's, it's going to be an interesting uh, battle this year in the coming months, especially in 2017, as this, these products really right. go into into volume production, and uh, people sort of pick sides and go. But I think. Uh, this this Xeon Phi is, is really the first uh, decent competition NVIDIA's had. I think it'll start to eat into some of their market share, but since the whole market's growing, I think everybody can still profit from what's going on here.
0: Well, uh, we know from our studies that people think they're going to be supporting multiple architectures going forward. Yep. That's a statistic we've said on this podcast before. 88% of HPC users think they'll have multiple processing architectures going forward. If we look, GPUs have a slight edge in favorability and how many people are adopting it. Right now we see on the order of about 80% of of users either already have GPUs or they're testing or evaluating them. That's compared to about on the order of 60% for the Xeon Phi's in terms of already have or are looking at testing or evaluating them. Now more of the Xeon Fire in the testing or evaluation phase, but even so that gap is not as big as it was and it's not as big as maybe you would have thought it would
1: be. Yeah, I think uh, over the next year things are going to change and uh, I think both of these architectures are very powerful and they both have paths going forward. People are just going to have to get used to supporting multiple architectures for different types of environments and that's the way it'll be for a while
0: and speaking of supporting multiple architectures there was another big announcement and this one I think a surprise announcement during the show that people didn't really see coming and it came in a in a funny um in a funny session it was actually during the the vendor showdown sessions where the sponsors get to give Uh, their speed presentations and answer a couple of questions about them to the delight of the audience. And Fujitsu dropped a bit of a bombshell in the course of their five-minute three-slide presentation announcing that for their post-K supercomputing architectures, they're going to start incorporating ARM processors. And I think this was maybe one of the bigger announcements during the show.
1: Yeah, I mean, if this had been, uh, you know... IBM or Intel or any of the big American companies, this was sort of had a lot of uh press announcements around it, but since it was it was much lower key, but they they did announce it and they had it in a couple of presentations. So it was a surprise to people, but some people were speculating that they would drop their spark line uh going forward for this post K, this exascale system that they're planning to uh to field in the two thousand twenty time frame and move to something else. But uh, it it was sort of a shock to everybody because there was, there was no uh, foreplan. They hadn't told anybody originally about what they were thinking of doing. And yeah, they're going to actually... The more interesting thing about it, it's not just Fujitsu that's doing this. I mean, they are going forward with this, but they're actually going to work with ARM holdings to define an HPC variant of the 64-bit ARM architecture. And presumably... Uh, if that's done, then that spec will be available to any licensee going forward, which means all the ARM players who want to build a, uh, an HPC version of the ARM, uh, will be able to do so just by licensing the spec in whichever way they want to do that. And I think there are a couple, three, or, or three, uh, of these vendors that, that will want to do that, and all of a sudden we'll have a different, uh, we'll have a different landscape, uh, going forward.
0: Yeah, I had suspected that we would start to see some Intel processors like Knights Landing coming into this roadmap and you know, I on Monday morning I got those slides prior to the session under embargo till the afternoon and it definitely shot my eyebrows up as a great validation, probably the best validation we've had. Thus far, for ARM in this market uh, to go to, um, uh, you know, I think there, there's a couple of aspects of this. One might be the power efficiency, and then, Michael, you were talking about the broader application portfolio.
1: Right. I mean, they're going to make this a, sort of a general purpose HPC chip, if, if there's such a word for that. Um, but they're going to basically add the vector capability that one would expect for HPC, they're going to add some of the other high end features server features that uh, you get with um, a high-end chip. So that's all going to go into this spec. I mean, they're going to work it out. The work hasn't been finalized yet, and in fact will be announced in some detail at the op- upcoming Hot Chips Conference in August in uh, in Silicon Valley. So everybody, I think, is going to look forward to that and see what the the details will pan out to be. But uh, I think this is going to move forward fairly rapidly. Fujitsu needs this chip to go into the exascale development uh, process and they're going to they're going to be right by i mean they're going to deploy this thing by 2019 so they don't have a whole lot of years this thing's got to come out pretty quickly and be settled um so i think we're going to see it move forward and then once once that spec is out we could see uh other players like amd and cavium pick up on this license and, and, and make their own chips and uh Uh, It'll it'll be a much more interesting space if uh, people start building these chips and then the OEMs can pick them up.
0: Yeah. I mean, for all the talk that there was around China and the top of the supercomputer list, we have to remember that there are funded on-record plans for Exascale in Japan and France. And, uh, you know, this was a big announcement with regards to Japan's plans.
1: Yeah, it is. And and going forward, just thinking about the ramifications of this, I mean, it's not just they're going to have a hardware spec that's going to be available for other players, but the Fujitsu effort to field this post k system is going to bring the, f- the software forward as well. Some of that software, a lot of the software, is probably going to be open source. So there's going to be open source support for this ARM HPC architecture, which again can be picked up by other vendors and and used to push the ecosystem in HPC forward. So uh this this is a big development and my feeling is this this sort of brings this effort I mean if it plays out like like they're planning it, it brings this effort on par with the Open Power consortium in a sense because again there's a bunch of players there that are going to to bring the ecosystem forward and support among other things HPC but in this case uh, before this happened, the ARM ecosystem in HPC was, was not oriented towards the performance sector. It was all sort of the vanilla data center workloads that people were thinking about. But this gives them a, a powerful uh, platform uh, in both hardware and software to move forward. And I think it actually does put them on sort of an equal footing with, uh, with open power. You think equal footing now, huh? I, I think so. I mean, uh, we're going to find out more in a couple months how how this actually is going to be implemented, what the specs going to be like, and what's going to be available. But uh, from the way I see it, I I, I see uh, I, I sort of almost see, in a sense, more potential from the OEM side of, of picking up an Arm HPC platform because a lot of them are going to be resistant to pick up a power platform. Yeah. Uh, there might be a more uh, It might be an easier adoption to to go an arm way for those customers that are looking for an alternative to x86. Uh,
0: I'll disagree with you there. Uh, To me, equal footing is a step too far. Now, I was uh, disappointed in the lack of momentum that we saw in open power at this show. I would have liked to have seen a couple wins or, or some big news on the open power side. It was kind of the one-chip architecture where we didn't have any big news at ISC. But to me, to, to suggest that ARM is now on equal footing with open power, I, I think that's too far. Open power still has a shorter path toward adoption for high-performance applications. And I think the, the ecosystem is farther ahead than ARM. The compatibility is farther ahead than ARM. The testing's farther ahead than ARM. Uh, they They do need to start putting some wins on the board before the end of two thousand and sixteen and and to have done them at i s c wouldn 't have been too early right. uh, you know we 'll be looking for some more news from open power coming up by the end of the year. I, but I, I would say they're, they're still well ahead of arm.
1: Yeah, I mean, in the sense that uh, they do have that head start. Um, and we'll just see how it works out in the longer term. But it's an interesting race now, or at least it's more interesting than it was.
0: <laughs> it's very interesting. It'll keep an analyst and a journalist busy, that's for it sure. Definitely will. All right, Michael, we'll wrap up that section of CHIP news from ISC. I appreciate you joining me as always. We'll try to squeeze in one more podcast this week before we get back to our regular programming schedule. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing, For more information, visit intersect360.com.